Okay, we'd like to welcome you to our current event and weekly Bible study for February 3rd, 2008. This would technically be considered part, I think, 5B. Okay, because the, we started a new series on um, uh, the biblical role of wives in the last part. Now, a lot of these are tying together, obviously. And we're going to continue that study right now. And we're going to go into... Um, after we've talked about all of these things, let's go ahead and read this email I got the other day from this particular man. So now we have more of a scriptural basis to be able to look at this. Okay? Do you, ha- you guys have the letter? Okay, because I've got extra copies here. So, this is a response. Now, I already asked this particular man if I could read this. I'm not going to give any names or anything like that, but he said yes, it was fine for him for me to read this on the air. <clears throat> And he said, um, Hi, Dr. Johnson, I really need your advice right now. I am in a place of loneliness and rejection, and I need some counsel from you. If you can recall some of my emails months ago, I'm the one whose marriage is breaking apart over my beliefs and passion to let people know the truth about a lot of these deceptions. God's gifted me with an ability to make videos that are creative and emotionally moving. I really feel led to use my abilities to make to be able to make well-made videos that expose things like the King James issue and others in the future, God willing. My wife continues to tell me how these things are bringing fear and division because she thinks I'm going in a very wrong direction that has nothing to do with God's leading. She has no loving feelings or attraction to me primarily in the last eight months because of these things I'm studying and believing. Now my response at this point was, now your wife, now if your wife is right, She needs to cite specific scriptures that she is basing her opinion on. Because again, our opinions mean nothing. She can say, oh, another big thing, oh, you're causing division among the brethren. What about mark them which cause division and offenses contrary? What about reproving the unfruitful works of darkness? What about those verses? Okay? Causing division among the brethren is something that's in the context of using some stupid, unbiblical reason to cause division among the brethren. The problem is, is apostasy is the norm now. Lukewarmness is the norm. So when somebody comes in and wants to break up their big apostate party, they take offense to it. So they call good evil and evil good. See, that's the problem. So, she says, um, I, I said to her, she can't, she needs to cite specific specific scriptures that she's basing this upon. If she cannot, then it sounds like she's giving you her opinion or her heart, what her heart's telling her, motivated out of the fear of man and not the fear of God. Jeremiah 7, 9, and 10, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. And then Proverbs 29, 25, The fear of man bringeth a snare. But whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. Let's go further. Then I say, if she is withholding her feelings in the marriage bed towards you because of this issue, that is essentially blackmail. And totally unbiblical. 1 Corinthians 7, 3, Let the wife render unto the let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence, and likewise also the wife unto the husband. The wife hath not power over her own body. But like I said, this is a common, common thing. I've been there, done it. You know, it's terrible. 
But the husband, and likewise also the husband, hath not power over his own body, but the wife. Defraud ye not one another, except to be consent. Okay, we already read these. So, again, she has no scriptural leg to stand on there. It's not like he's not wanting to do the right thing. He's wanting to do... He's wanting to expose evil. He's wanting to approve the works of darkness. He's wanting to earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. He's wanting to be a watchman. He's not in the wrong biblically. But see, she doesn't want any of that. This isn't what she signed on for when they first got married. Now he's changed, and unfortunately, they're growing apart. Then I go on to say, it sounds like you are biblically trying to do the right thing, but as happens so many times in modern day marriages, the other partner becomes a hindering factor to the Lord's will. Well, let's go further with that. If they become a hindering factor to the Lord's will, whose side is the other side on? Who's trying to hinder you from the Lord's will? Are they doing Satan's work? Are they doing God's work? Again, Ephesians 5.22, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. It's not like he's asking her to do something unbiblical. In fact, you know, he's wanting to do this on his own. It's not like he's trying to twist her arm. She doesn't want him to, to do this. And this is a, the very reason why, one of the very reasons why the church is in the state it's in. Because if, if a man wants to start pursuing and doing these types of things, and the woman isn't for it, well then, you know, there's all kind of ways that, that she tries to downplay, manipulate, blackmail, these types. Now, I'm not saying a woman or a man couldn't do the same thing to a woman. But lately, I have gotten a rash of these very same emails regarding the wives. I'm not saying that that means all women are evil or anything like that. I'm just saying, I know when God wants me to do a teaching on a specific subject, is if I get a delu- I get like deluged of the same thing over and over and over again. It's obviously something God wants me to address. And it's clear in Scripture. So then it says, For the wife, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as the Christ is the head of the church, he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, wherefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. He goes back to the letter. This morning we went to our old marriage counselor at our church. And our pastor, that we have known for over two years, sat in with us. So, so, so you got this marriage counselor at the church and their pastor. Well, now we're going to get some biblical advice, right? Oh, forget it. I tried my best to tell them that I really believe these issues are important and that I felt that God was leading me to expose these things to others. All, you know... Just quote scripture. I told them that I really wanted my wife to accept me for who I am, even if she disagrees with me. Good for him. Good for him. And to give me the freedom in our marriage to explore these issues so I can bring this information to others. Why? Because the Bible says, to whom much is given, much is required. What does it say to the watchman? If you see the sword coming and you warn not the city, then when the city perishes, your blood will be required, the the blood of the people that perish will be required at the watchman's hands. Too much is given, much is required. Okay? It's not just a light little thing when you learn this information just to sit on your hands and do nothing with it. Now I understand, we all have different spheres of influence. We all have different... Okay, so not everybody's going to do exactly what I do or what another person does. Whatever the Lord convicts you to do, do that. 
But you realize that these people that are trying to suppress people, that are wanting to bring forth truth, they're being used as tools of Satan. I'm, I'll be that blunt. They are. They're being used as tools of Satan. And then he says, um, well, I say to him, as you can see from the verses above and the attachment, she still has no biblical leg to stand on. Now, also, compare that in light of just the teaching we've just done. Okay, so now you have a, a good foundation, scripturally. And then he says, I really felt ganged up on. He was! He had his own pastor, this supposed Christian marriage counselor, and his own wife ganging up on him. Totally unbiblically, all they were doing is giving him their opinion. Unbiblical and ungodly. This really... Oh, I, I got just angry reading this. I just... But this is, this is the norm. This is the norm. It says, they were all telling me that I should set these issues aside. <laughs> yeah, we're just living in the end times. People are perishing and going to hell because they're being destroyed for lack of knowledge. God's sending the strong delusion that they will believe a lie, that they might, they might all be damned or see not the love of the truth. There's wolves in sheep's clothing abounding everywhere. Hirelings in the pulpits... Lukewarm apostasy everywhere, rampant. Evidently, we're just supposed to sit back and do nothing. Not earnestly contend for the faith. Not mark those which cause division and offenses, contrary to doctrine, which you have learned. No, we're not supposed to do any of that, I guess. We're just supposed to kind of sit back and, you know, not rock the boat. That's real scriptural. So they wanted him to set these issues aside. Because they told him... By him pursuing these issues, they are these issues because they're destroying their marriage. So, now the blame from the pastor and from the marriage counselor and the wife, who's probably feeling really good at this point, is all on him. To make him feel like a worm because they're being used by Satan to manipulate him to keep his mouth shut. I, I get righteous indignant about this. Be ye angry and sin not. That's how I feel when I read this. And then I say to him, to do so, they would need to biblically refute the verses above, which they cannot do, in this whole study that I've just given him. My pastor said that he is well versed in the King James only issue, and strongly disagrees with me, and told me that it would be in the best interest for me to stop studying this stuff in order for our marriage to be saved. Oh, so now the King James issue... It's something we need to stop pursuing as well. Because he's well versed in it. Okay, pastor, prove it wrong then. Oh, no, 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 no. We just, we just take his word just because he's the pastor. We just blindly believe him. No, I don't. And when people say, well, who do you, who do you uh, affiliate yourself with? I affiliate myself absolutely with no man. Because the Bible says, thus saith the Lord, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man. And that maketh flesh his arm, and his heart departeth from the Lord. I'm a Bible-believing Christian. Try to follow the Bible as best I can. I'm not saying there's not biblical men you can follow. Just be very careful about it. Because you can see the mess you would try to get in if you were following this so-called pastor, who's not a pastor in my eyes at all. All I need to know is what I've heard just to totally disqualify him from any pulpit. He's not well-versed in the Word. Evidently, he doesn't even know what the Word of God is. And he's, he's so adamant to tell him this King James only issue is destroying the marriage as well. Not to even dabble with the stuff. 
Oh, man, this makes me mad reading this. I hate to see injustice done to anybody. I take it more personally when I see it done to somebody else than I do when it's done to me. I get all kind of emails. Most of them are totally positive and, and wonderful from people. But I take greater offense when I see other Christian brothers and sisters being manipulated and done wrong than I would if it happened to me. I know that's easy for me to say, but I'm serious. It really does make me matter. I, don't, I, I abhor. I abhor injustice whenever I see it. You know why? Because if the Holy Spirit lives inside you, you're going to have the attributes of God. Now, I'm not saying I'm... But if the Holy Spirit lives inside you, things that would make God mad will make you mad. And this is when the Bible talks about putting your brother ahead of yourself. Laying down your life for your friend. These types of things. You know, greater love no man hath than this, than a man would lay down. I really do. I really, it just, oh, it's, it's worse than if it happens to someone else when I read this, than if it's happening to me. Because I've been there, I've been in this person's shoes. And it's not fun. It's a terrible feeling. Every, everybody's against you. And then you start questioning, well maybe I'm not right. Man, it's tough. It's so tough to break free from this, because you got the whole world against you, essentially. That's why I go out of my way to try to help people. Because I've been deceived. I've been on that end of it. And I don't want it done to other people. That's why I'm putting my teachings up there. So hopefully it'll be a blessing to them. And they don't go down the same path I went down. And make the same mistakes I made. And I've made a boatload. And I, you know, I'm not perfect. By any stretch of the imagination. But, so we go further with this. And, and I said... I said to him after this thing was brought up about the King James issue. That he's so well versed in. With all due respect, your pastor sounds like he has been brainwashed by the cemetery. I mean, seminary. As 99.9% .9 of them are. Okay, now I'm not going to say everyone is apostate and not in God's will. I'm not going to say. I'm saying the vast majority are. Ask him to refute the KJV attachment. I, I gave him my KJV defense packet. Please refute that first. Which I've never seen anyone be able to do. Once again, it sounds like you were barraged with just unbiblical opinions. That's all you get anymore. You don't get scripture. And then he says, as I have studied this stuff, though I am not an expert on it by any means, I firmly believe that he's wrong. He, and he's absolutely right. He, his pastor is wrong. My wife was in tears because she wishes I would go back to the way I was when I didn't believe any of this. Tears! How pathetic! She's being used by Satan to try to manipulate him any way she can. Whether it's through depriving him of the marriage bed, whether it's going to tears, whether it's getting her, getting him before her unbiblical, their unbiblical pastor and this unbiblical marriage counselor. Whatever it takes, Satan will do it. So, here's what I said to that. I said, unfortunately, what you're saying is that she wishes to go back to the times that you were ignorant of Satan's devices and did not reprove the unfruitful works of darkness. That's what she's saying to you. Go back to the way you were. This isn't what I signed up for. Give me a break. 
You know what this boils down to? Self-centeredness of people. Self-centeredness. Selfishness. I, 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 you, you need to go back to that way because this scares me and I'm this and I'm that. It's all about me, me, me. I, I, I. Which is really the root of all sin. Self-centeredness, if you think about it. Well, I said in Ephesians 5.11, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of, works of darkness, but rather reprove them. That word reprove means to rebuke, to expose, these types of things. And if we don't know what the unfruitful works of darkness are, how, do we gonna know, how are we going to know to stay away from them? That's called being destroyed for lack of knowledge. Matthew 24.24, 24, regarding the end times, if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Maybe we need to be on guard then. Sure we do. 2 Corinthians 2.11 Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Do you want Satan to get an advantage of you? Just be ignorant of his devices. It'll happen. Most people are. This is Satan's goal as well. I said to him, when I was married, my wife did the same thing to me, but only much more satanically, for four years. I did virtually nothing for the Lord. Now, he's been in this for about nine months, if I recall right. For four years, I virtually did nothing for the Lord. Now, that's me. That's Scott Johnson saying that. I said that before, because my wife would have no gods before her. <laughs> okay? But see, God, the God in heaven, will have no gods before him. You cannot serve two masters. You cannot bow the knee to Baal and the knee to, ba- and the, and the knee to God. You can't do it both. One way or another. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. You know what else about me? I was so double-minded. My my wife, my ex-wife, was incredibly double-minded. And guess what? That permeated to me. I wasn't like that before. I'm not like that now. But man, when I was with her, I was so double-minded. And every time I read that verse, double-minded man is unstable, I got so convicted. I'm like, look at me, I'm pathetic. I'm pathetic. I admitted it. Telling you, the wrong marriage can absolutely destroy you like nothing else on this earth. Because you're intimate. You join flesh to flesh. There's all kind of manipulation and ploys and all kind of things Satan can work in there to get you ineffective. I would much rather be single the rest of my life absolutely to ever go back to any of that. Yes, I would like to have a godly wife. But, I would much rather be single than ever go back to any of this that this man's living in right now. And you know what? When God lets you go through something like this, it's very incredibly painful. And that is not pain you will soon forget. Remember, whom the Lord loveth, he also chasteneth. Chastening is painful. Okay? So, pain is something that you just don't forget. Pain is a tremendous motivator. Pain is also a motivator for you not to go back and make the same mistake again. That's why God lets us go through it. So, let's go further. So, this is Satan's goal as well. When I was married to my wife, she did the same thing to me for four years, in which I did nothing for the Lord. I've been in your shoes, but the Bible has much to say on this issue and your calling. You could ask your wife and pastor if they can refute the verses below in regard to the calling the Lord has been put upon your life. Your pastor is in grave danger. 
You know why he's in grave danger? Because the Bible says, Jeremiah 48.10, Cursed be he that doeth the work of the Lord deceitfully. That's what he's doing. He's doing the work of the Lord deceitfully. Which is what most pastors do. They come and they act as though, Oh, I am, I am wiser than thee. I know better than thee. I know about these issues. Been there, done it. Don't dabble with it. Just you know, be a good little sheep. Lay down and do nothing for God. Live and let God. When you have a pastor doing that, they're going to receive a greater condemnation. I can't even... To, to whom the midst of darkness is reserved forever. I'm sorry, man. You put yourself in that position. Oh, you're going to burn in the lake of fire in a special kind of way. I don't believe they're saved. If the Holy Spirit was living inside this pastor, why in the world would he be doing this? Why would he be trying to get this man to do evil? Okay, again, I'm not, I'm not his judge, but I'm just saying, from what my observations are, it sure don't seem like he's saved. Cursed be he that doeth the work of the Lord deceitfully. Isn't that what we're talking about here? Oh, I'm the pastor. I'm doing the work of the Lord. Oh, that doesn't... Just because you give yourself a title, which you're not even qualified to have, I might add. I, I know you're not qualified to have it just from reading what you're saying. Just because you have a title... That doesn't give you a right to do things that are unbiblical, ungodly, give ungodly advice, all in the name of the Lord. In fact, that's more of an abomination than anything to God. <clears throat> Colossians 2.8. Here's another verse that applies to him. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. What are, what are vain deceit and philosophy? Typically their opinions, which is all he's getting that I can see. After the tradition of men. Oh, well, this is the way my pastor taught me. This is the way the seminary taught me. This is the way I was brought up. Who cares? Does it line up with the Word of God? You know, through your traditions, you've made the Word of God of none effect. And then it says, after the tradition of man, after the rudiments of this world, and not after Christ. Not after Christ's word, that's for sure. Ezekiel 33, 6. And if the watchmen see the sword come, and blow not the trumpet, and the people be not warned, if the sword come, and take away any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at the watchman's hand. Now these are verses that I want this pastor to refute. I said, take these to him and see if he can refute them. Romans 16, 17, and 18. Now I beseech you, beseeching means he's pleading with us. Brethren, meaning brethren, meaning, meaning brothers and believers in Christ, mark them which cause division and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned. Where do we learn the doctrine? From the Bible. Well, we need to mark this pastor then. Because what he's telling him to do is contrary to the doctrine of the Bible. And then it says, and avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ. So if you see a pastor doing this, they're not serving the Lord Jesus Christ but their own belly. That means they're serving their own flesh. Their own carnal desires. And by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. Pastors like this deceive the hearts of the simple all the time. By good words and fair speeches. By giving them their philosophy opinion. Jude 3 and 4. Behold, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Why? For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. 
God had foreknowledge of these men. They were ordained to this. It says, Ungodly men, turning the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ into lasciviousness. Like the grace of God, they were turning that into this reprobate sin. Basically giving us a license to sin. Oh, it's the grace of God. We can do anything. We're under the age of grace. Let's turn it into a license to sin. That's what they're in reference to here. And then it says, "...and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ." John 9.4 "...I must work the works of Him that sent me, while it is day." See, we're running out of daylight. We could have martial law imposed in America or elsewhere, and you may not be able to work. The only place you may be able to work at that point is on your knees in prayer. I'm serious. I praise the Lord that the, that the time I've had, I don't know how long it's going to go on on Sermons Audio. I don't know. But I praise the Lord for, for every day on that. Because I'm telling you, the Bible says, the night cometh when no man can work. It says no man can work. This is a spear that a man has. A ministry that a man has. And I have basically the same calling that he's saying he has. So I really relate to him. Oh, just, honey, give it time. It's okay. People are just dying and going to hell. People are being destroyed for lack of knowledge. What's the big deal? You don't want to rock the boat. You don't want to be unpopular. Well, the Bible says that is highly, which is, is as esteemed among man, is an abomination in the sight of God. I don't want to be highly esteemed among men. Blessed are ye when all men persecute you and revile you and speak all manner of evil for you for my sake. That's what Jesus Christ said. For great is your reward. See, what Jesus said is just the opposite of what the world teaches us in that regard. Now, let's go further. 1 Timothy 4, 1 and 2. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith. We're seeing a big evidence of that right now. Giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their consciences seared with a hot iron. Then 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4, <clears throat> I charge thee therefore before God, and at the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead, at his appearing and at his kingdom, preach the word. That's what it says we're supposed to do. Be instant in season, out of season. Now this is to a man. This isn't, this is the spirit of a man. We already saw that women don't have any right to be in a pulpit preaching. Okay? They're not called to it. There's no biblical leg to stand on there. But it says, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season. Reprove. Remember, to reprove the unfruitful works of darkness, to expose them, to rebuke them. Reprove. Rebuke. What is a rebuke? When you basically discipline somebody particularly in this sense, with the Bible and with Scripture. That's what we're doing here. This is an indictment against... This whole teaching is an indictment against almost the church. The modern-day modern lukewarm church. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. See, we just don't give up. We're long-suffering in this thing. And how do we do it with doctrine? What doctrine do we go by? The Word of God. Pretty simple. For the time will come, and, and it's arrived, <laughs> the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Oh, we're there. Evidence, just this is total evidence, the way this pastor is approaching this. They're not enduring sound doctrine. But, you know, this makes the Bible come alive to me because it's absolute confirmation of Scripture. But after their own lust, shall they heap to themselves teachers, men 
women teachers. Oh, teach me. Having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth, which is the word of God, and be turned unto fables. Well, isn't that what Joe Osteen does? Joel Osteen? He goes up there and just tells stories. Nice stories. What a guy. Brings. I heard another person the other day. He said, oh, I can't get through to my family. You, know, they, you can't say a word about Osteen. His brother, his brother came to him and he says, Oh, that guy makes me cry, man. So what? Who cares? He makes you cry? <laughs> Why? Why does he make you cry? Well, he just, he moves me. Oh, How pathetic. How pathetic the men have become. Oh, man. Let's go further. Psalm 94, 16 and 20. Psalm 94, 16 and 20. Who will rise up for me against the evildoers? That's what God's asking today. Who will stand up for me against the workers of iniquity? Shall the throne of iniquity have fellowship with thee, which frameth mischief by a law? That's our government right now, framing mischief by laws. Hate crimes laws being one of the worst. Are we not meant to stand up against the evildoers? Are we just supposed to sit here and do nothing? Salt and light, remember? Light exposes darkness. Salt's an irritant and a preservative to the environment around. That's what we're called to be. And, you know, got Jesus Christ crucified doing that. Got the apostles crucified. They put out truth. Are we better than they? Got a lot of martyrs crucified and burned and stuff. So then he says, he says, my marriage is falling apart. And I, um, another verse that relates to this is, Ye that love the Lord hate evil. But then Jesus said in Matthew 10.34, and this is a response to him saying, My marriage is falling apart. Jesus said, Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father, and a daughter against her mother and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's foes shall be they of his own household. Did you know that? Choose this day whom you will serve. I don't believe God, personally, from what I've read so far, it does not seem as though God ever joined these two together. God. Remember what the Bible says. It says, What God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. What if God never joined you? What if God never called you to this marriage and you just did it out of your own accord? You never got on your knees. You never sought counsel. And then you get into a marriage and it's a total mess. Well, the reason is, is God never called you into it. Now you've got a big mess on your hands. And now that's between you and the Lord to work it out. I'm not telling you, go get a divorce. I'm just saying, what if He never called you to that? God never joined you together. Well, I have a marriage certificate. Oh, you have a marriage certificate from the state. But in God's eyes, are you biblically yoked together? Or are you yoked together with an unbeliever? The Bible says, be ye not unequally yoked together with an unbeliever. To me it appears this man is yoked together with an unbeliever. I don't know, I'm not going to go any further with that. I'm just saying, these are things to consider. Uh, then he says, I, am a, I believe I am standing for the truth. I agree rather than standing in pride and arrogance over these things. I said to him, I agree. Doesn't seem like he's standing in pride or arrogance, does he? 
And then it says, our counselor told me not to come back until I have decided in my own mind not to study these issues in order to heal our marriage. Oh. So he's the bad guy. This is so typical. It's the pot calling the kettle black. It's the problem, it's the person that is to blame, which is really this marriage counselor, this wife, and this pastor. They're the ones that are to blame. Because they don't want to abide in sound doctrine. Yet, they're getting the spotlight off themselves by putting it on him and making him appear to be the bad guy. This is a classic blackmail ploy. I had it done on me so many times, I can't even tell you. So I can't stand it when I see it done to other people. So, it's all his fault. It's, and then he says, it seems everyone is against me and supporting my wife on this. Well, they probably are. And then I said to him, how pathetic, as this is such a cut and dry biblical issue, issue, which you are in the right, or the good. The Bible says in Isaiah 5.20, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil. That's what they're doing. It's all backwards in the churches. And then he says, please help me make sense of what you would do if you were in my situation. God hates divorce, but do I need to com- compromise on these things in order to have healing in our marriage? I said to him, no. Your wife needs to humble herself and submit herself to what the Word of God clearly says. Remember, the husband's the head of the wife. And they don't have a biblical leg to stand on. Now, it would be one thing if he was way biblically in the wrong and the pastor said, hey, listen, look at these scriptures, young man. Okay, and then he got in right then he got in right stead with God. That's not the case here at all. Not even remotely the case. The problem's not him. It's all the people that are pressuring him to do evil. Your wife needs to humble herself, submit herself to what the Word of God says. Ephesians 5.22 Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. And in this particular case, we have no doubt that this man is wanting to do the biblical thing. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be unto their own husbands in everything. I said, God bless you, and I will be praying for you. Uh, He said, thank you for taking the time to read through this lengthy email. I really appreciate your ministry. Now, I've, been, I've had other correspondences with him, but that's all I'm going to read about this. Okay, so now I've been hammering that issue for a while. Now, let's go to the blessing of a woman's ministry. Let's not just dwell totally on the negative aspects of things. Let's look at the blessings of a woman's ministry. <clears throat> now, this is from a guy named R.G. Lee. Uh, if a woman have mastered men for evil, they have also mastered them for good. We gladly make declaration that some of the fairest and most flagrant fragrant flowers that grow in the garden of God and some of the sweetest and most luscious, luscious fruit that ripens in God's spiritual orchids are there because of women's faith, women's love, women's prayers, women's virtue, women's tears, women's devotion to Christ. Okay, so I don't want to be all purely negative here and, you know... Consider some of the ways God has used women. It is It was a woman who brought Jesus into the world. Many women assisted Jesus. Of course, that was the Lord's doing, but 
He used a woman. Many women assisted Jesus during his earthly ministry, as in Luke 8, 2 and 3. It was a woman who anointed Jesus for his burial prior to his death, Matthew 26, 6 through 13. It was mostly women who stood at the cross, Matthew 27, 55 through 56. It was women who observed Jesus' burial and came to anoint Jesus after he was dead. Luke 23, 55-56. It was the woman who came to the empty tube, tomb and first believed in the resurrection. Matthew 28, 1-6. It was a woman who first reported the resurrection to the apostles. Matthew 28, 7 and 8. Women were waiting with the men in the upper room for the Holy Spirit. Acts 1, 14. So women are very, very important in church work too. See Romans 16, 1-5. Many of the first Christians were women. Acts 17, Verses 4 and 12, such as Lydia, the first con- convert of Philippi, in Acts 16, 14. Women can learn, can teach other women. Titus 2, 3 through 5, women can teach children. Women such as Lois and Eunice train up these young workers for the Lord. 2 Timothy 1, 5, women can witness and bring sinners to Christ. Women are crucial in the work for the Lord, work of building strong spiritual homes, so that the church is thereby strengthened in the Lord. Remember, we're the body of Christ. Each one has their own function. And really no function is greater than another. Because if you start to degrade any particular part of the body of Christ, the whole body becomes sick as well. If one part is affected, the other parts are affected. Three examples in the Bible. Lydia is an example of the blessing of godly of a godly woman to the work of God. Acts 16, 12-15. Lydia was the first convert in Philippi. <clears throat> she then influenced her entire household to trust Christ. After she was saved, she begged Paul and Silas to stay as guests in her home. The Bible says she constrained them. This means that she was very persu- a very persuasive woman in this regard. Thus, the church at Philippi was started in Lydia's home. In Acts 16.40, we see that Paul and Silas were loose from jail. They first came to see Lydia's, to Lydia's home, and they were comforted, and they comforted the brethren. It is obvious that this is where the church was accustomed to meet. This godly businesswoman was a very important member of the early churches. Phoebe is another example. Romans 16, 1-2. She was a servant of the one church, the church at Censuria, which was near Corinth. This teaches us the importance of church membership and the importance of faithfulness to the church. Problem is now, is where do you go to a true church anymore? So I would kind of take issue on that one a little bit. Because you go into 501c3 corporations that don't even know what a Bible is most of the time. 99% of the time, 501c3. So, um... <clears throat> the Bible talks about forsaking not our assembly ourselves together. You don't have to go to a 501c3 corporation calling itself a church in order to accomplish that. Evidenced by what we're doing right here tonight, having a Bible study. Okay, so, um, we serve the Lord Jesus Christ, but we serve Him in this world through the church. Those who despise the church today despise the work of God. Phoebe was doing the work of the Lord. She was on a business pertaining to Paul and her church. Many believe that she was carrying the epistle of Romans to Rome. Maybe she was. Paul instructed the believers to treat her with respect and to give her whatsoever assistance she needed. Priscilla then is another example. She worked with her husband in starting churches. Romans 16, 3-5. She assisted her husband in instructing Apollos. Acts 18, 24-26. This is an example of how a wife can assist in teaching the Bible to a man in an informal setting in association with her husband. See, that's why the Bible gives us these examples. In some passages, Paul mentions Priscilla first, before her husband. Um, Acts 18.18 18 and Romans 16.3. This might mean that she was more zealous 
well, more zealous Christian of the two. It could also mean that her husband spent more of his time with the tent business while she spent most of her time with spiritual ministry. Or it could mean that Paul was closer to her. Whatever the exact reason, it is a fact that Paul honored her by mentioning her first before her husband. So the conclusion is here, questions for women. Are you saved like Phoebe? Before you can serve Christ, you must be born into God's family. Phoebe was called our sister. Are you sure that you have been born again? If you are saved, your life will be changed. Now that's the, that's the biggest problem with most of the mess that I talked about today. Most of these, these uh, men and women that we were in reference to that are apostasy, they're not even saved. The Holy Spirit's not inside them to convict them of right or wrong. And if they are, they're nominal baby Christians. They haven't been sanctified by the Word. They don't, they don't walk and live in faith. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. They don't even go by the Word of God. I just don't see how you can perpetually stay in that state. God's either going to make you totally miserable, or you're not saved. And then it's, it goes on to say, are you faithful to church like Phoebe? Are you, but again, that's a hard one nowadays as far as going to a formal church. Okay? Um, are you serving God zealously like Phoebe? Are you in fellowship with your husband like Priscilla? Questions for the men. Are you saved like Aquila? who was in Christ Jesus. Are you serving God together with your wife Aquila? Is the church important to you like it was Aquila? Now, let's just end this by going through uh, traits of a virtuous woman, which we can sum up in Proverbs 31. You've heard about the Proverbs 31 woman. Okay? Proverbs 12, verse 4 says, A virtuous woman is a crown to her husband. Remember it talked about the woman was the glory of the man? We talked about that before. Well, this is a confirmation of that verse in the Old Testament. A virtuous woman is a crown to her husband. That is a glorious thing to her husband. Then it goes on to Proverbs 31, verse 10. It says, Who can find a virtuous woman? For her price is far above rubies. The heart of her husband doth safely trust in her, so that he shall, know, so that he shall have no need of spoil. That's a wonderful thing. When a man can actually totally trust in his wife and the wife likewise to her husband. This isn't just a one-way street here. Verse 12. She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. Well, if, the, if a woman is actually absolutely living in biblical in the biblical ways a wife should live, according to the verses we looked at, and, and the husband loves the wife and is in subjection to Christ, this is the ideal way it should work out. It's very rare, anymore especially, but this is ideal. This is like the ideal scenario here is what we're looking at, okay? She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. Not just for ten years and then say, ah, you know, I'm going to throw in the towel. Or the guy throws in the towel and goes through some midlife crisis and starts dressing in disco shirts and driving a Corvette. I've seen that happen before. <laughs> How pitiful. How pitiful. But I've seen it. Anyway, um, and then verse 13, She seeketh wool and flax, and worketh willingly with her hands. Nonetta, see there? <laughs> Nonetta did upholstery for a long time. But she seeketh wool and flax. Now, granted, this is an Old Testament example. Okay? But it makes reference to a woman, you know, not being idle, doing things which pertain to to being a blessing to her husband, to her household, these types of things. In today's day and age, you can't be absolutely cookie cutter and say, oh, okay, a woman's only going to do this and this. I mean, there's other ways you can 
make use of your time in these types of things that can be productive. Okay? But in this regard, they're saying she seeketh wool and flax and worketh willingly with her hands. She is like the merchant ships. She bringeth her food from afar. She riseth also while it is yet night, meaning she's rising early in the morning. Remember, early to bed, early to rise, keeps a man healthy, wealthy, and wise. Who said that? Benjamin Franklin? The Illuminist? <laughs> yeah, he was, he was heavily involved in the occult. So probably not a good guy for me to quote. But there is truth in that quote. An apple a day keeps the doctor away. Was that another one he said? Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm getting punchy. This is like... I've never done teachings this long, ever. We're like into the night now. So we, I had to come back for these teachings. But I felt like I needed to get them out. So then... Um, if we go further, she riseth also while it is yet night, and giveth meat to her household. Meat is food, is another way. It doesn't mean just meat. Meat is another way of saying food in the Old English. Okay? And a portion to her maidens. So she provides for her own household. These are just traits of a virtuous woman. She considereth a field and buyeth it. With the fruit of her hands, she planteth a vineyard. What she does and what she touches seems to prosper. Because God's blessing is upon her. She girdeth her loins with strength, and strengtheneth her arms. That means she's in the gym, you know, five days a week pumping iron. No, just kidding. Sorry. <laughs> but she is strong. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, so, she's, she's not a weakling, okay? She's, she's versed in um, working with her hands and, and these types of things. And then it says, she perceiveth that her merchandise is good, her candidate candle goeth not out by the night. Sometimes she's working into the night to get whatever needs done, done for, you know, the sake of her household. She layeth her hands to the spindle and her hands hold of the distaff, and that is in regard to, um, you know, sewing and probably uh, knitting and these types of things, making garments. Because back then, let's face it, you that was the deal. I mean, you couldn't go to... Uh, wherever, Burdines or Dillard's, and buy some dress off a rack. I don't think they may, I think you pretty much had to do it yourself, or maybe if you really had a lot of money, you could buy those types of things. But back then, that was the norm. She stretcheth out her hands to the poor, yea, she reacheth forth her hands to the needy. Now, the Bible says true religion is this, when you go and visit the widows and the orphans in their affliction. That's, that's what the Bible says true religion is. Okay, so this is, that is in reference to this. She stretcheth out her hand to the poor, yea, she reacheth forth her hands to the needy. The Bible connects all kinds of blessings to when you bless the poor and the needy, the blessing that will come to you and that God's protective hand will be, these types of things. Then it says, she is not afraid of the, of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed with scarlet. In other words, she's made them ample amounts of clothes so if it gets cold out, they're not going to freeze to death. She maketh herself coverings of tapestry. Her clothing is silk and purple. And I guarantee you one thing, she's clothed. She's not dressed provocatively. She's not dressed to make other men lust after her, which is what a lot of women do. We saw that the other night when we went to the old, our, our trip down Charismania Lane, as I'm going to title the sermon. I like that. Don't you like the ring of that? Our trip down Charismania Lane. Actually, it's my recent trip down Charismania Lane is what I'm going to title it. But anyway, um, so she's providing for her house. Her husband is known in the gates. 
And he sitteth among the elders of the land. See, this husband trusts in his wife. He doesn't have to walk out the door all stressed out thinking, I wonder if she's going to cheat on me. I was always thinking that with my ex-wife. And she did. <laughs> I had good reason to think it. That's a terrible way to live. But you know what a wonderful way to live is? Is if you're in right standing with God and you're in right standing with Christ as a husband and your wife is in right standing to Christ and you and she's in some and you ha, and you can walk out the door and you don't got to worry about her whoring around or for the wife the husband whoring around which is you know I'm not I don't want to because it takes two to tango okay so I don't want to just come down on the wives but I'm just saying isn't that a nice feeling wouldn't that be I, I've never experienced it personally but you know I think it'd be a wonderful great awesome feeling to have man whew, wonderful. So then it says, Her husband is known in the gates when he sitteth among the elders of the land. She make make a fine linen and selleth it, and delivereth girdles unto the merchant. See, she had her own career. She was a career woman. Her primary focus here is taking care of her own family. Out of her abundance, she sold. There's nothing wrong with that. But it's not like, you know, yes, she was in it for the money to begin with. That's the next verse. No, it doesn't say that. You know? She was never in this for the money. This was to provide for her family. Okay? Strength and honor are her clothing. Praise the Lord. And she shall rejoice in the time to come. She openeth her mouth with wisdom. See, wisdom goes along with this. Remember, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of God is the beginning of understanding. This is a woman that fears the Lord. Guaranteed you that. And her tongue is the law of kindness. Remember a meek and a quiet spirit? That also implies somebody that would be kind. The fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, goodness, faith, temperance. Those are nice things. You ever been around, you know, um, people like this, whether it's a man or a woman? They're wonder I love being around Christians that are like this. It's, it's just like, oh, wow, this is neat. I like this. This is great. Because... You know, this is one of the ways the Bible says that you know that the love of God is in you when you love the brethren. You know, and it, it, it's just that there's just rare, there's not a lot of people like this. You know, I feel blessed because I'm, I'm with like-minded Christians here in this Bible study. But I'm telling you, there's not a lot of people around. And I know there's a lot of people emailing me that are saying, what do I do? Where do I go? I'm like, man, I wish I knew what to tell you. I said, that's why I started what I'm doing because there's no churches in my town. I'm not saying there's no good people or there's no good people in any of the churches, and they're all. I'm not saying that, but I don't want to be a partakers of the plagues that are going on in the churches right now. I don't. I've come out of them because I don't want to be partakers. I don't want to be unequally yoked together with what with the apostasy in the air. It doesn't mean there's there, that there's people. Everybody's going to hell and all this other stuff, but I've chosen to come out. And then it goes on further, and it says. <clears throat> She looketh well to the ways of her household, and eateth not the bread of idleness. Remember the idle hands of the devil's workshop, which is really true. Her children arise up and call her blessed. So see, they honor their mother. I was dealing with a lady recently, and her son was cursing her and cursing her and cursing her, this ungrateful little snot that's addicted to, uh, what's he addicted to? Cocaine. 
And I told him, I said, you know, that kid of yours, he's in grave danger of dying very young. Because the Bible says, Whoso curseth mother and father, they shall not see long days. It says it. The Bible also says, Whoso despiseth the word shall be destroyed. Proverbs 13, 13. Most people can't stand the King James Bible. You despise it? Well, I wouldn't want to be in your shoes. It says, Whoso despiseth the word shall be destroyed. Just a little side note there. But the Bible says here, Her children arise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praiseth her. This is the way it should be. This is awesome. Many daughters have done virtuously, but thou excellest them all. Whoa, what a thing for God to say about you, essentially. This is the word of God, right? Favor is deceitful, and beauty is vain. Because remember, beauty fadeth as doth a leaf. But a woman that feareth the Lord... Oh, didn't we just talk about fear the Lord? It's a foregone conclusion. Here it's confirmed that she fears the Lord. But a woman that feareth the Lord shall be praised. How many women fear the Lord? This woman that we just talked about, this, this wife that's going against her... By her actions, by her pastor's actions, by the merit... You can tell they don't fear God. They have no fear of God. They have no fear of His retribution. All they can give is their opinion. They have fear of man. They have fear of being unpopular. They have fear of being unliked. It's pathetic. Your life as a Christian is not a popularity contest. Remember, blessed are they when all men shall revile you and hate you and speak all manner of evil about you. All they that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Think it not strange the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. This is something we should expect. As a Christian, should be expected. If it's not happening, that's when you should get worried. No chastening of God on your life, no conviction of sin. Consciences appear to be seared with a hot iron. Man, that's not a good position to be in. Then the last verse says, Give her the fruit of her hands, and let her own works praise her in the gates. Praise the Lord, man. That's awesome. I, I love that portion of Scripture. So, that is... Finally it. We're done with all, I don't know how many parts. <laughs> I've lost track. So I'll go ahead and close this out in a word of prayer, and uh, we'll pick this back up, Lord willing, next week. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this time that you've given us. I thank you, Lord God. Um, whenever your word is being preached, God, wherever your truth is going forth, I praise you for that. I pray, Lord God, that your truth would go forth with might and dominion and majesty, and that many people would get saved, that many would be converted that the fear of God would fall upon the body of Christ, every man, woman, and child, and upon the unsaved around us, Lord God, that need to be saved. Lord God, you know the beginning from the end, and I pray to God you would save their souls, for it's your will that not one would perish, but that all would come to repentance. That if there's any wives or husbands out there, or children out there, that are in rebellion to thee, I pray, Lord God, that your fear would be upon them. And that that fear again would drive them to repentance. That the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart would be pleasing in your sight. That you would cleanse us from presumptuous sins and secret faults. That they would not have dominion over us. That you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to receive. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That the Lord Jesus Christ be glorified through the body of Christ. That many would be saved as a result of what you're going to do through us. For we can do nothing apart from you, and we are nothing apart from you. And I pray to God we would never desire to be anything apart from you. 
We praise you, Lord God. We ask all these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray. Amen.